for um, coming out tonight and um, just giving up your weekend for this. We always have so much fun, don't we? Yes. And so for some of you newbies, we're a little much, but we're really cool, okay? <laughs> we have a lot of love to share here. And um, so we're really glad that you're here tonight. And I want to share a couple of things with you because some of you being new here um, don't know um, some of the things that we've gone through to maybe even get to this place. Um, but I want to tell you the first thing that I went through, my mother is here. <laughs> and so literally, the person that birthed me and made this delicious cake, right? Yeah. The Barbie doll is my mom. We'll talk later. I'm in counseling. Um, but <coughs> she has been an amazing woman, and, uh, and some of you don't know her story. I'll cry telling it. Um, and so we're going to come to her story later, um, and she doesn't even know that. I can't, I just cry now. Maybe I'll get it out. <laughs> um, but <laughs> the first, I think it was the first year, somebody can help me remember, that um, we did our conference. This is our fifth year. Um, the first year, um, we're getting set, and I got Bell's palsy. Was it the first year, James? Yeah. And um, if, do you all know what Bell's palsy is? Yeah, when half your face falls, and then you have to stand in front of women and speak. And it, oh, man, it was everything in me to go, Lord, this is you. This is about you. It's not about me. Help me to not be vain, you know? Help me to not worry about that. And I did it. Praise Jesus. He got me through that. Um, but here it is. Five years later, and let me tell you, the topic the very first year was fall in love with Jesus. And tonight we're talking about a love relationship with Jesus. And I think Satan hates that because last week I got parotitis. And so two, three days ago, my face was like this. And um, you can still see that it's still kind of swollen, but God has been good um, and a lot of drugs in me to bring it down to where it is now. But I promise I don't really look like this. <laughs> um, but in that, I thought, you know what? Who cares? Who cares? Because the very first time I ever spoke in front of women, I was so stressed out about how I looked. And that wound up being my message. Who cares what you look like? This external stuff just doesn't matter. And so I literally came in mismatched clothes and gave a message from the Lord. And so tonight I came with the dress I wear all the time with my very unshaven legs and my very grown out toenails. And I have your roast on this side of me and holes on this side of me. And my hair looks like this. It usually does look like this, so it's really not an excuse. <laughs> and no makeup. And who cares, right? Because it is not I'm not here to give you that Kim has got it together, right? Because I don't. I, but I do know who does, okay? And you know who does. And so that's who we're going to talk about tonight. But let me tell you, one of the things that, I, that we are talking about is being a chosen one, being a chosen bride of Christ. There are days I haven't felt very chosen, that Satan has said, God doesn't care about you. And two, three days ago, and I'm struggling, and I know that it doesn't matter what my face looks like. I still had a moment of, God, why? 
again. You know, why do I have to do this? And I'll do it. I'm going to do it for you, God. But I was really in the gutter about it. And I said, okay, I need to go. I don't think they have the right diagnosis. And they thought, okay, my fault. I did a telemedicine thing. And the lady went, well, maybe it's an earache and got me some ear medicine, and it wasn't working, and it was growing. And um, so I said, okay, I'll go to urgent care. So I went to urgent care, and bless that sweet little PA's eyeballs, were staring at me like, "Um, I can't help you. You need to go to the ER now. (laughs) And she was like, this is horrible. And she was so sweet about it, but I could see the terror in her face that this was not right. And so... That is when that torrential rain started a couple of nights ago. Like, I walked out of the urgent care just, and I'm going to my car, and I'm like, Lord, I am not feeling like a chosen one. (laughs) You're just dropping through my car in this rain. And I get in, and I have to drive over to the ER and then walk into the ER. And I did not have my phone because my mind was distracted. And so, therefore, I sent my mother into a tizzy, and that's a whole nother story. But I go into the ER, and of course, they all said, oh, yeah, this is not right. And I did the CT, and they said, you have keratitis. How did I get keratitis? I don't know. And um, so I spent the last couple of days in the doctor's office and whatnot getting more drugs and more drugs because it wasn't helping. And then, like, mir- miraculously, it started going down. And so I'm like, thank you, Lord. But I want to tell you that there was a brief moment brief moment because the session if you want to take notes at all you'll see it says session one in there that it says um from courtship to happily ever after and i was walking through the kitchen and i said lord i'm telling my friend angie i'm telling my my other friends you know that have things going on in their life i'm telling them god is there he is faithful you can praise him in the storm Sharon's yelling at me on Facebook, praise in the storm. <laughs> and I'm like, fine, Sharon, okay. You know, and um, so I'm like, Lord, I'm going to praise you in the storm. I don't care what my face looks like. I don't care how I feel. I was in a lot of, a lot of pain from it. And um, I'm walking by. I have this, it's one of them cute things. You know how you get, you get to Costco or whatever and stuff. Biscuits, butter, and blessings, farm fresh devotions of hope and comfort. And then you flip it, and it's got the sweet tea one, okay, right? So I'm in there, and I this is literally the one that it was pulled to, except I'm on the wrong side. It's on the sweet tea side. And it says, the hair after. Is this a message for me, Lord? <laughs> Not the happily ever after, but the hair after. And I want to read that to you. And it says, beauty parlors are linoleum-floored social settings for southern lady who favor high hair, hellacious amounts of hairspray, and beauticians they can count on as lifelong friends. Some beauticians style clients do's from cradle to grave, making sure they look as good in the here and now as on their church send-off to the hereafter. But no matter how hard we try to avoid it, the day will come when gray hair will show up, cross its arms, and refuse to leave. Anybody there? Yes, amen. Right? And there won't be enough hair dye or nearly enough time to keep covering it. And when the time comes to give up on the hair dye and the highlights, get your style on, then lift your chin up 
take a sip of your RC Cola or that awful shoe leather coffee they serve in the beauty parlor and make up your mind that gray hair don't care. And if you are blessed to live long enough, growing old is a part of life and age is a badge of honor, not a condition to be remedied or to be ashamed of. In fact, the Bible says gray hair is a crown of glory gained by living a godly life in Proverbs 16, 31. And here's my favorite part. You can tease your hair as high as you want, but high hairdos don't bring you closer to God. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And so I read that and I was laughing, 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 laughing. This is so funny, God. Oh, thank you for bringing this to me. I'm going to share it with the ladies. And let me say, again, the face is happening. The pain is happening. I can't open my, my mouth but, but a tiny bit. And so I, I was starving, and I thought, I could eat some rice. I found some rice, made the rice, picked up, and it's one of those rices that has the flavoring, so it has little specks in it, right? And so I picked up the rice, and I grabbed my glasses in one hand, and the bowl went like this, got to, the, got to sit down and look down, and my glasses had popped apart, and that teeny, tiny little screw was gone. And I'm looking at my rice, and I'm looking at my glasses, and I'm thinking, how hungry am I? <laughs> and so I literally ate two or three rices at a time, staring, <laughs> looking for my eyeglass screw, which I didn't have. So I had to pull out. These are not my good glasses, ladies. These are those ugly ones that don't quite fit right, and I won't know what I was thinking when I got them. And so these aren't even the good glasses I brought to you. <laughs> because I never got them fixed. So all of this, and I'm thinking, Lord, I know that Satan is having a heyday right now, and he wants me to curse you. He wants me to be upset and say, you know what, I, I thought you had me there for a minute, but apparently you don't, God. That's what he would have loved, right? Um, and I recognize that because I have good friends around me that say, you know what, God's got this. It's, and, and they encourage me. And that's what we're here for tonight. But I want to take you on a little journey through the Bible of who God says we are and who God, um, the relationship that God wants us to have. And I'm going to first turn to Ephesians 5, if you want to go there, if you have your Bible. Otherwise, you can just follow along listening with me. But Ephesians 5. 25 to 33. And it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, who he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about, the Christ, about Christ and the church. Ah. Do you guys ever catch on to that part, that very last verse there? that there's a mystery to be had. Who loves a good mystery in the room? Oh, yeah. Let's go on a mystery search. Okay, because where do we normally hear this passage? Weddings. 
all the time, right? And yet he's saying here, but the mystery here, it has nothing to do with a man and a woman here on earth. This is a picture, a shadow of what it is with Christ in the church. Now, do you know what a shadow is when we talk about scripture? Does anyone need that? No, a shadow is like, if I had a big castle standing right here, right? And it, sh- and it cast a shadow. What would we see from the shadow? It'd be just flat. It'd be black. You wouldn't see the ornate parts. You wouldn't see the shiny things, right? You wouldn't see the color and the grandeur. You'd just know, wow, that's something really big. That looks kind of like that could be cool. And so he's saying, you know what, as great as marriage might be, or maybe wasn't for you, because it has nothing to do with that, as great as that might look, because that's a close, loving, intimate relationship, I want a close, loving relationship with you that looks just a shadow. That, it, it, that is the shadow of what I want with you, is what Jesus says. And so we're going to look tonight at the Jewish wedding ceremony. We're going to look in Scripture back. We're going to turn to Genesis 24. Let's go way back. And who knows the story of Abraham? Abraham was told he would have many what? Many sons. Many sons. Yeah, right? Okay, so Abraham was told to have many sons. Abraham tried to go about it his own way, right? Remember that part? Then Abraham had a son, and he had one that he wasn't supposed to have, right? And then he had Isaac, the one that was promised, right? And so here it comes. Abraham, we're going to read here, is about 140 years old at this time, and Isaac is about 40 years old, okay? And Abraham's getting close to passing on. So starting in 24, we're going to read, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to the chief servant in the household, the one in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh, and I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Because Abraham may have learned a lesson in his own life that going outside of God's will didn't work out. Would you agree? (laughs) And so with Isaac, he's like, you know what? God promised that my child would have the promised land, that many sons would come. So I need to find him a wife, and it needs to be from the same faith. Because scripture tells us it matters who we're yoked to, right? And so he wanted someone from the same faith. Did you know that in the Jewish tradition, it is the father that chooses the bride for the son? Isn't that interesting? So the father chooses the bride for the son, but, I, but Abraham is so advanced in years that he sends his servant. And I want you to be listening as we're reading about this servant and see that you can't see that, um, see that you can see that it really is a picture of the Holy Spirit as well, right? We get a picture of Abraham as the father, Isaac as the son, and the servant as the Holy Spirit, and the bride being uh, Rebecca. And so when we're reading this, I want you thinking in those lines, okay? So he's about 140 years old. He's getting on. And um, he sends the servant, and he says, verse 5, the servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? 
Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. And the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. And he set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. Okay, so stopping there and looking at that, he's saying, you know what, here's the deal. If you can't get her to come back, then you're out of it. You do not have to keep this oath to me. It is that important to me that she shares the same faith. As some of us here that have moms, or maybe it's a brother or, or you know, a relative or whatever it may be, and how much that importance is made to us. Like, we are praying, especially as moms, we are praying that our children find people that have the same faith, right? And, and that is something that is always on our minds. And, um, and so Abraham, knowing how important that was, says, I don't want you to settle. If you have to settle, then you are out of the oath. And so he says, okay. So he takes these ten camels. Now, that he would be showing in these goods that he had quite a bit of money. So he was setting out. Again, looking at the servant, unnamed servant here, right? As someone that just wants to serve his master and do exactly what he's told. Looking at him as a picture of the Holy Spirit there. And he says, he had the camels kneel down near the well outside of the town, and it was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. And show kindness to my master Abraham. And see, I am standing beside the spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be when I say to a girl, please let your jar down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, we're very specific here, right? Have you ever been very specific in prayer? Because it's kind of given us that we could be this specific, right? And he says, when I'm going to say this, and then she's going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, right? And uh, so she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. Like, he doesn't want to get it wrong at all. He does not. He says, by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And before he had finished praying, oh, wouldn't that be a blessing? Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder and she was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. And the girl was very beautiful. She was a virgin. No man had lain with her. I thought that's what virgin meant. Uh, so she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. She went, now listen, down to the spring and came up after she filled her jar. So we know there's an up and down. How many of you are still wanting to go up and down? Not me. I don't like going up and down the stairs, so let alone trek down, get a big jar of water, carry it on my shoulders, bring it back up. She is offered now not only to give him water, but the camels. Do you know? She goes on to say, the servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly. 
not hesitating. Even though she was there to get water for her family, for her own job, and the stranger has come along and asked for a lot of water, she quickly did it. That was the heart that was shown. She had a servant's heart. So quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw more water. Ran, ran back to, <laughs> hello, <laughs> back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely. Seriously, really? He just watched her to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. I want to tell you, I looked into this, and the camels that he had, they could drink 40 gallons of water. There was 10 camels. She probably made 100 trips up and down with a willing servant heart, a smile on her face to give him water, give his camels water, anything else, you know. That is the kind of person that he had come across. Wouldn't you know that is from the Lord, right? And so he just watched her, I'm sure, in amazement that not only had he started with, would you give me a drink? No, I will give you a drink. And then what about the camels? The camels can drink. Do you know people like that? I know people like that. Carla, Virginia, those are two people standing in this room. They go, do you need a drink? How about 15 of your friends? Do they need a drink? Can I get, can I get that dog a drink? Can, let me get the dog a drink. Come on, that's Carla. Let me Come on, Kim, let me get the dog a drink. You know, she would yell at you. That's the kind of heart this girl had. She was ready to put it all out there. And she was, she was of the same faith. She had that same joy of the Lord in her heart, right? So I can't get over it, though. A hundred trips, right? When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring. That was a thing of the day. I know it's, I, you know, it's a thing of the day now, right? Okay, not for me, but for others. Um, took out a gold nose ring weighing a becket and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. And then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me there's room in your father's house for us to spend the night. Would you give me a drink? Would you feed on or drink, get water for all my camels? And then do you have somewhere I can stay? Carla. Again, I'm going to pick on Carla. We go camping at family camp last weekend, and I'm sitting in her bus with her. She's amazing. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, Carla, I bet you're the kind of person that already has blankets and extra everything. And she goes, oh, yeah, but I have my really nice blanket right here, but I keep this whole tote of blankets. And Ricky says, I know. I should. I could give him this one, but I really would really rather give him this one. I know it's bad. And I'm like, girl, you have a tote of blankets that you carry around in case you meet someone that might need a shirt off of your back. I was with her brother, with Susie, at the lake, and a guy literally fell off his boat and was drowning, right? He throws out there, takes his own clothes off, and puts them on the guy and ushers him back into Susie's bed in the camper. Poor Susie. She doesn't have Gilbert's heart. <laughs> She's like, I just, I love my husband's heart, but I really don't want to give him my bed. Pray, 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 Kim, that this guy gets better and gets another bed. <laughs> but this girl, she was ready to still lay it all out, right? So come home. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll feed you guys. We'll bring you to a meal. We'll feed the camels. We'll do it all. We got it. So she answered, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah bore to Nahor, and she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down. He did not wait. 
He's right there, bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Sometimes we forget that step, don't we? We get going with, oh, oh, great. And we forget now to stop and thank the Lord in all those little details, right? He bows down to the Lord saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. And that is God, kind and faithful, faithful, faithful. Anybody know God to be faithful? Amen. Amen. I don't care what you're going through. He gives us these things we can look back, not only in my life, I can look in your life and see, I remember when God was faithful. Do I need to remind you when God was faithful in your life? Because I was walking through it with you. So let's hang on there together, right? And so he's seen the God of his master Abraham. And he's speaking of his glory. And he says, as for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. And the girl ran. She still had some oomph in her. She ran and told her mother's household about these things. And Rebecca had a brother named Laban. And he hurried out to the man at the spring. Now, Laban, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it. But I, I kind of think Laban saw some dollar signs. And, and let's read on. And he says, um, as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded, and straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and the water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him. But he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. That is like the Holy Spirit. He is nameless. He is not here for himself. He is here to do the master's business. And he's like, I don't need anything from me. I am here first to do the business of my father. So then tells us, Laban said, so he said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. And we're going to hear this whole thing again, right? He retells the entire story of what we just read right here, 34 through 49. So we'll skip that part, right? I won't take you all the way through that again. But it is exactly, so Abraham says, or I'm sorry, the servant says to them, this is what happened. So Abraham told me that I was to go find a bride for Isaac. I went to the well, and I said, Lord, let it be this person that if I ask for a drink, and then she says this. And, and so you can follow that along, and it comes all the way down to, and then you can come to my house, and you can have a meal, right? And so verse 50 says, Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing uh, to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. And when Abraham's servant heard what he had said, he bowed down again, bowed down to the ground before the Lord. And the servant brought out gold and silver and jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. And he also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. And then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. What just happened there was she has agreed to go be the wife, and so he's just paid the bride price, okay? Stick a pin in that one. Then here we go. Ver when they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the girl remain with us 10 days or so. 
then you may go, right? You ever, you ever had someone try to hold you back from maybe what God was telling you? Or maybe the direction that you were heading in and you knew it was from the Lord and someone was saying, why would you do that? It doesn't, no, you're not thinking, you need to put yourself first, right? But Rebecca knew that when someone called, in the, when the Lord called for something, that she needed to drop everything right then and there and go, right? And so she knew this was from the Lord. She was not going to detain. Um, and she, they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. You know, Jesus says, when you are called today, there's no tomorrow. When you are called today, follow today, drop it all. Remember when he was in asking the disciples to come? Drop it all and follow me, right? So they, they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister may increase to thousands upon thousands, and may your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. So they blessed her. And Rebecca and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now, in the meantime, Isaac had come from Bir Lahairoi, where he was living in the Negev, and he went out to the field. The field in scripture is another, it's one of those pictures, okay? And it's a picture of the world. It's another word for that. Think again then that um, the Holy Spirit has gone into the world to see who might come to Jesus, right? Who might come be the bride of the son. And that is exactly what the servant has done. And Isaac has done. The son has gone out into the field, right? And to look for his bride. And he looked up and he saw camels approaching. So he knew Rebecca was coming. Now, one of my favorite verses in this, verse 64. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac and she got down. The Hebrew word is not that nice. It is not got down. That girl looked up, saw Isaac, and fell off of her camel. She was, is that the guy? Look right there. It says, ask the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? I would say she was pleased. She looked at that guy and went, yes, <laughs> fell off of her camel, jumped up, put her veil on, and went right into the tent with him, right? She was excited. This was the guy. Yeah, no, she was not sad. Here, he is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil, covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all he had done. He recounted the whole story again. Thankfully, not the third time in scripture, but he says, Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. And so she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I think it's a beautiful picture of how um, Rebekah just responded. And I think of, you know, when it says in scripture in, um, that the father chose the bride, okay, I got to tell you, if my dad, gosh, I hope he never listens to this. <laughs> There's a story my mom can attest to, and she probably has her own version. But um, when Richard and I were very young, and we were at mom and dad's house, um, Richard got in trouble because he told something that got dad in trouble with me. And I won't go into the story. It'll break your heart. But... He told, and my dad considered that such uh, an affront to him, that he told Richard to get out of the house and never come back. 
every five foot one bit of me stood up and said, if he goes, I go. Somewhere in that, as I was packing my stuff as fast as I could into that vehicle, I think that one got in there and said, you better go prepared. <laughs> because a little while later, and this, my dad is not a humble man to do this, came out and invited Richard back into the house and me back into the house and apologized. Never happened. So on that day, if, if you had asked my dad, he would not have chosen Richard to be my husband, right? But God did, right? But we all have our stories of that, you know, whether, whether it's our earthly stories of marriage have been successful or unsuccessful, whatever it may be. Um, Ephesians 1.4 and John 15.16 tells us that our Heavenly Father chose us to be the bride for his son before the foundation of the world. So when I think about before the foundation of the world, it gets rid of all of those things that stop me in my mind that say, I'm not good enough, right? Because I wasn't before the foundation of the world messing up yet, right? And yet he knew who I was going to be, right? And I do. I fail daily, and I wonder, why would you choose me, God? Why? Because I am not, um, you know, tomorrow Ashley is going to, um, that's Ashley back there. Hi, Ash. Um, Ashley's going to be talking about Esther. And Esther went through a year, a year of beauty treatments so that she could win a beauty contest so that she could be chosen by the king. I'm not going to win a beauty contest inside or out if I'm looking to be chosen by King David. Does that make sense? Like, there is, there is, I'm sorry, there is not enough in me. I fail constantly. And God says, I'm not looking at that outward appearance. I'm not looking at any of that. The, and I go, Lord, but there's people that I honestly look at them and I think, God, they're smarter than me. You know, they're thinner than me. They're prettier than me. Lord, they know maybe more scripture than I do. They have a nicer house. They're more organized. Their kids are better behaved. They don't have the issues that I have, right? We can list. You all probably have a list right now in your mind that you're thinking, um, I wouldn't consider myself worthy. And you know what God said? It's because you're not. It's because you're not, right? Um, because 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 30 tells me exactly who I am if I want to be humbled by it. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. I don't want to think about what I was when I was called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But chose, God chose the foolish things of the world <laughs> to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Because there's nothing in me that you could look at me and say, well, I do understand why Kim was chosen by God. Well, we know that's not true. 
I want to say that when I look at some of the people in Scripture, I identify, I always say, mostly with Peter. Because remember, Peter, he was the one, the first one to go cut off the guy's ear. That would be my temperament, right? I want to cut off the ear. And so I look at Peter, but you know what else about Peter? Why would Peter be disqualified? Peter also denied God three times when he got scared. And you think, do I ever deny Jesus? Maybe not even with the words I'm saying, but sometimes maybe by the actions that I'm producing, do people look at me and say, I don't see Jesus in what you're doing. I don't see where this is coming from. So I look at Peter in that. I look at Mary and I think, here's, I'm sorry, I look at Martha and I think, here's someone that lost her temper and maybe even raised her voice to God because her sister wasn't helping. To God, right? Have you ever raised your voice to God? So Kevin, Jane's husband, told me one time, because I told him in Bible study, that there was a time that I was yelling at God that um, because I didn't understood, I didn't understand at the moment what it meant to say um, that the only sin was to um, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So when I was really angry and I was young in Christ, I said, I will not believe in you. And I, and I yelled things at him, and Kevin went, uh, well, I'll let the lightning bolt be over here on this side of the room. <laughs> you know, and I said, you know, but that was my honest heart at the moment. I was mad at God. I was mad, and it's honest to be mad, right, with the things that we go through. And, you know, it's part of what we learn in that faithfulness, that God, as we go through our journey, that God has not left us, that he allows some of those things in our life for a reason. So I look, too, I look at the sons of thunder. Have you ever heard of the sons of thunder? James and John in the Bible, two of the disciples, um, that is what Jesus named them was the sons of thunder because Jesus asked for somewhere to lay his head one time, and they were denied. And so James and John said, would you like us to rain down fire upon them from heaven? And Jesus was like, calm down. <laughs> No, I don't want you to do that. Some of us have that kind of mentality, right? We're ready to go to violence. We're ready to go. Now, I'm not saying anyone here needs to bury a body, but Kathy is the one to go to <laughs> if you do. Uh, and so we'll come back to that. <laughs> um, but Rebecca, though, man, we can look at Rebecca and say, man, that girl looks like she had it all together. She was beautiful. She was a virgin. She was quick to serve. She loved that guy before she even met him. But you know what? We don't have time to go into everything. But the next story about Rebecca, she was kind of failing as a mom and making some bad choices. And because we all, we all do that, right? And so do you find that um, in that, I, how do I earn it, God? Do you ever get to that place? How do I earn it? And, like, we might not consciously do that. But we need to stop that. And so there were some people that asked me, why always a bride? Why is that the name of the conference? Well, the reason why is because we always, we hear the saying, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Well, we are always a bride. Just in the fact that we couldn't earn it, we can't lose it. Right? And so we're looking a little further into the reason that God calls us a ten camel girl just like Rebecca. You want to be a ten camel girl? You just got to respond, right? The bride price is set as a father in the Jewish ceremony. We talked about that. And it showed that it would cost the groom something. 
and it helped the father to know that he was committed, so the price would be a little high, right? We wanted it to be something that the groom had to work for a little bit. Oftentimes, the family Torah, or the word, right, could be sold for the bride price, a sacrifice that would show great consideration. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And what is the word? The Torah. The Torah and Jesus are the word. So following that line, Jesus gave himself as the bride price, right? He had to sell himself to Judas, interestingly enough, for 30 shekels of silver, which was a usual bride price, 30 shekels of silver. And so Jesus agreed knowing that this price would be his life and that it would be a full debt payment. And then, do you remember in the upper room when he drank from that cup? The cup that he said, if it could pass, let it pass, Lord. That cup was a betrothal cup. And so when he was talking to the disciples and he was putting and he was saying blessings to them and he was talking to them about coming again, et cetera, et cetera, he was giving marriage blessings. And all of these men were probably like, why are you doing this? What does this mean? And they didn't quite get it at that time, right? And so only we saw in the story of Isaac and Rebekah, only um, the servant um, could act in the, in, the, in the lieu of the father and the son because Abraham couldn't go, Isaac couldn't leave for the reasons that Abraham had listed. And he said, if he finds a girl, you know, asks about her back for um, home for a meal, then he would be welcomed in the bride price set. So that's the way it worked. So what would happen is in Jewish wedding ceremonies, uh, and it's lasted a long time, was that the bride price would be set, okay, and then um, they would go back and they would have a meal. And the way this would happen was the, the bride, if she wanted to accept the guy, he would come and knock on the door. And if she would wanted to accept the guy, she'd open the door, come in, and they'd have that meal, and they'd have that betrothal cup that would seal them. And there's a little more we'll talk about. But she could at any time when he came to the door, ma no matter what price had been set, say, I reject it, I don't want it, and it would end. She had a choice. Now think about that when it comes to us. When Jesus says in Revelation that I come to the door, I stand at the door, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone that opens this door to me, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He is talking about a betrothal with you and I. If I knock on the door of your heart and you let me in, we are going to enter into a relationship, a love relationship. And at that point in the Jewish ceremony, they would be considered married. That is why, on a side note, Mary could have been divorced before she was married because she was already betrothed to Jesus, right? So Jesus knocks at the door to our heart, but we have to choose to open the door, right? We have to enter into that covenant relationship. Um, do you realize, did you realize, because I didn't understand the bride of Christ and all of that, did you realize that when you first accepted Christ, exactly that you were saying, I'll be your bride? Anybody? I don't think it's something that was on our mind, right? God was calling us to him, and he would reveal things as it came. And 
So when um, Hosea, which Susie is going to talk about tomorrow in chapter 219, says, I will betroth you forever, not just by law, but by love, because Jesus is saying, I am not getting with you to have a relationship with you to wait to see if you can earn it. It is not because you've done enough. It is not because I'm told I have to. It is because I love you. And that is what he holds us in that relationship because of his love for us. And he knew the, the decisions we would make ahead of time. And he says in Romans 8, 35 to 39, that nothing can separate us. God is going to decide um, to never divorce you, to never leave you or stay. So now I'm going to go back to that betrothal ceremony. So they're in that room. He, they've been, he's, she's invited in the groom to come in, or the groom-to-be to come in and have that betrothal meal. And they have the betrothal cup. And then he gives her a ring. Now, generally, we do the ring on the third finger at the wedding ceremony, right? But they get a ring of plain gold band, and they put it on the index finger because it's the one they would see the most all the time. And this would remind them for a year is generally how long they would be separated because once she said yes, she needed to remember who she belonged to. Right now, we, before Jesus comes back, are in the place of remembering who we belong to. And that seal is the Holy Spirit reminding us constantly. Because it tells us in Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit is the seal for us. And you know like a king's signet ring, when they'd stamp it, then nothing could be undone about that, right? No one can snatch you from my hand. He's saying, you, you are mine and I am yours. We are as good as married. And so that's what Jesus has said to us. You're not going to lose it. I won't leave you. I will come for you. And so what happens during that betrothal ceremony is when that is done, the groom goes home, and he starts preparing a room for his, at his father's house. You've heard this, right? Sound familiar? Goes home for like a year. But you know what? He doesn't get to decide because he's a 40, Isaac's a 40-year-old man who's probably been waiting to have his woman. You know what I'm saying? And he's waited for it. And so here he is, and he doesn't get to hurry up and build a little pile of sticks. He has to wait for the father to say, okay, you can go. And this happens sometimes in the middle of the night. And so in the middle of the night, it can happen where the father says about a year later, okay, you can go. Right before this, I'm going to step back just a little bit. Right before this, as that girl is getting ready for that year, one of the last things she does is enter what is called a mikvah. Have you ever heard of a mikvah? Good. If I mess it up, you won't know. Um, just kidding. <laughs> so a mikvah is a special bath, and actually it's come back like in, in vogue or whatever you want to call it, especially in New York. And um, So they're building these places where it's very specific, where it has to have like a certain percentage of natural water. Um, so they collect rainwater from the roofs in New York, and it goes into a special pool. And there's two pools in this mikvah, okay? The first one they go in, and they, ha and they have attendants to make sure – Every single part about them is clean. They are from the brushing of your teeth, from the head to the toe. And everything is clean. And then they will enter into this special pool. And when they go into this pool, there's three blessings that they say. They're absolutely naked, <laughs> right? But they're absolutely naked, and there's a tenda, and it's very done very tastefully where they're not looking at them or anything. She's just there, that attendant, to help her to remember the blessings, 
And um, again, another picture of the Holy Spirit to remind you of God's word. And so Ashley goes in. And the third blessing that she says, um, as she does this, this three, right, like she enters, she's got to dunk all the way in in a fetal position. So interesting. Like in a fetal position and come all the way back out, every hair, right, and comes back up. And let me find it here because I've skipped all over. Um, The third blessing says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me with righteousness and with justice, with goodness and compassion. I will betroth you to me in truth, and we will come to know God. And that's again from Ephesians 5, 25 to 7, 27. If she is saying, I am taking my old identity, and I go under, and I come out a new identity. What is that a picture of? Isn't that awesome? That God has wove all of this through scripture from Genesis to Revelation is one huge love story about a wedding ceremony that is me and you and Jesus. The whole thing, all these words, we never, um, we never saw it. Maybe some of you have studied it and you already know this, but the first time I heard it, my eyes were like, whoa, I had no idea. There was so much meaning. And we talk about that, how we can read something one day and it says something and then later we see something and it's so much more, right? And that's the way the word of God is. But God wants us to know this whole Bible is just our love story. His love story to us, that he wants to be married to us, that we have just a picture, the temple that was built 1,500 miles wide, deep, long, whatever. That was a shadow of what is in heaven. That house that Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a room. I've gone to prepare a place for you in my father's house. The temple was just a small picture of what it is in there. In Revelation, it talks about the grandeur of it and the colors of the stones. Probably so much so that John didn't even know the real names of the, you know, what everything was. Because he just was trying to describe it as best as he could. And so we're looking at some of these things, and I'm thinking, Lord, wow, how much you have loved us, how much you have used everything. And it says, okay, the next part of that Jewish ceremony when the father says, you can go, and then he goes and goes to the bride's house. Now, she has kind of known maybe about 10 days. I got maybe about 10 days. It's been about a year. And so every night, she's going to bed ready. You know that, girlfriend? Remember when you were little and you were so excited to, like, go sleepover, go to grandma's, whatever it may be, a friend's house, go on summer vacation, you name it? Maybe you still do that. Angie has been, where did Angie go? She's been waiting for days to go on vacation. <laughs> you know, and you plan those things out. I just can't wait. And Jane's going to retire here in how many days, Jane? Nine working days. She probably knows the hours and the seconds, if you ask her. But she's excited and got a plan, right? And so we're, we know that God has said, I'm coming back for you, right? That he's gone to go prepare a place for us. So when that guy gets there and that girl is excited, and there's a story again in Matthew about the ten virgins. Some of them are ready and some of them were not. 
And so that's what God is asking us. Are you ready? Have you made that choice to be with me, betrothed to me, that when I come back, you're ready to come? Or are you like the virgin whose lamp is out and you haven't even prepared anything to go, right? Because today is the decision day, not tomorrow. And so today he may come because he says, I don't know the hour. Only the father knows. The same as that Jewish betrothal ceremony. Only the father knew when he was going to send the guy to go to the house, to go to the girl who was ready with her lamp and her girlfriends ready to take off. And they would make their journey back to his house and they would go, and, this, and their ceremony wasn't like ours. There's not the grand cake with the, you know, whatever. They go into a tent, and they had their seven-day honeymoon in the tent, and then they had the wedding feast with everyone else, right? So a little bit different. And so Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place. I'm coming back like a thief in the night, right? And he says that thief in the night thing, that is another story for, like, it was maybe midnight in the Jewish betrothal ceremony, but here, Jesus is saying the world is going to be in a dark place. And we, we get there daily, don't we? We're getting closer and closer to that darker and darker place. And he says, I will come for you like a thief in the night and take you with me. And I will take you back to my father's house. Are you ready for that? Or maybe you are ready for that, but your place is more, you know what, God? I haven't really been living for you. I'm struggling through some of the decisions you're allowing in my life right now. Maybe I can't insert what it is into your life right now that you know what you're struggling with. Maybe you just haven't had that love relationship with God that you've been wanting to have. And so I want you guys to think about that tonight. And I want you to think about that bridal chamber that God is working on right now. And he says, you know, Ephesians 2.19, we are built on the foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone of that bridal chamber because that's what it is. We are built together, our lives fitted together, stone upon stone. We need each other, girls, to encourage one another, to remind each other, to be those bridesmaids in the room that say, your groom's coming, your groom's coming, hang in there, right? So tonight, if you're struggling to feel God's presence, if you're running for some reason, um, if you're feeling unworthy, you're feeling like you're not chosen, you're not feeling close to God, maybe you're dealing with sadness, you're dealing with loneliness, maybe you've never accepted Christ, whatever the story may be. John 14, 1 through 6, 6 says, do not delay. Make that decision now. Can you guys pray with me on that? Father, you know where everyone is in this room tonight, God. Father, you know every story, every tear, every laugh, every fear. God, you know the loneliness. You know the sadness. God, you know that prayer list. God, I pray if there is a woman here tonight Father, that has felt very far from you. Lord, that you would just let her know you're right there. That you say all you got to do is come. Father, if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you, Lord, draw them to you. We thank you that you accept us as we are. 
We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that's worthy and that you've pursued us, God. Father, as we go into small groups, will you open up discussion that people will feel comfortable just sharing where they're at with you, Lord, and sharing with each other and encouraging one another? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So at your table...